This week and next week, I plan to bring two messages entitled, When Christians Sin. Before we dive into Romans 8, you have to understand, when, when the folks at Rome read this letter, they read it in one sitting. You know, they get the whole thing. As we preach through it at the speed we're preaching through it, you tend to camp out in some places, you don't get the whole letter at once. So some of the practical stuff doesn't hit you till later. And I, I just believe that it's necessary right at this point to think on this topic when Christians sin. So, the first few minutes, you're likely to hear some things you've heard before, just by way of reminder. And then we're going to break out into some certain areas of the Christian life that I think are just incredibly practical. So, if you have your Bibles, please open up to Romans chapter 6. A number of weeks ago, we asked ourselves a very important question. Very important one. We asked ourselves the question that Paul asked in Romans 6.1. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? When Paul says we... Are we to continue in sin? He is not speaking about all men. In the last verse of chapter 5, and you've got your Bibles open right there, you can look there, Paul is clearly talking about the grace of God that leads to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In 6.1, Paul is asking whether those of us who are recipients of this grace that leads to eternal life, whether we are to continue in sin so that that grace might abound all the more. When Paul asks, are we to continue in sin? He is basically asking this simple question. Shall people continue in sin after they are saved by grace? That's Paul's question. Can a man or a woman, by grace, become a new creation in Christ and continue in sin in order to make grace appear all the more to be grace? You know, it's a simple question. It's not really complicated. There's no appearance of this being a loaded question. Paul has no secret agenda here. It's not a question, really, folks, that's shrouded in all sorts of mystery and obscurity. Wouldn't you agree? He's, he's very clear, he's very pointed, he's very precise. He wants us to ponder one of the most important questions that can be asked concerning the new Christian nature. Shall Christians continue in sin? And I would simply ask you this one question. Folks, what is Paul's answer? Does he conclude, 
Why, yes. Of course Christians continue in sin. They do press on in evil. They do forge ahead with lawlessness. Is that what he concludes? When it's all said and done, when it's all boiled down, is the conclusion of the matter that Christians do continue in sin. Is the conclusion that Christians have no ability to do right, they just go on in sin, is the conclusion that Christians just keep on doing evil? Paul says, no, may it never be. How can we? That's what he says. In 6.2, he says, how can we? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, folks, I'm not seeking to belabor an unimportant little doctrine that is really quite insignificant and of no real consequence regarding our lives. If we go wrong here, we go wrong at a core Christian doctrine. This is a truth of monumental consequence. People lose their eternal souls for being wrong about this question. People go to hell believing they can continue in sin and be a Christian at the same time. They go to hell. I say this because Jesus Christ says this. Now please, turn back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Verse 21. I don't want to begin reading this until you all are there. Matthew 7.21 Because I want to see, I want you to see that this isn't simply my idea. This isn't just only Paul's conclusion. Which, by the way, Paul was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this is God's conclusion, no matter how we look at it. But I want to see that not only does Paul say it, Jesus Christ Himself also says the same truth. Now watch this. Matthew 7.21 not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Now that's an interesting thing. What is that? I mean, do, folks, really, when you walk around, do you, do you come across people that are out there saying, Lord, Lord? That, that seems kind of odd that he would throw that out. Why does he say it like that? Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You know what the Lord, Lord has to do with? Familiarity. These people are talking to Him like they know Him. Like they're well acquainted. Lord, Lord! Lord, you know, we're on an intimate basis with You. It's not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. It's not everybody who thinks they're a Christian. It's not everybody who's religious. It's not everybody that has religious talk. It's not everybody that sings about the Lord, prays to the Lord, talks about the Lord, that's going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one, now there aren't many categories here. There's only one. Don't go wrong here. There is only one kind of person that goes to heaven. The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, 
On that day, on what day? This is judgment day, folks. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord. There it is again. We, we have it all over. Now, Jesus doesn't just say there's a few this is going to happen to. There are many. And what's going to happen? Lord, Lord. There's that familiarity again. See, they're, they're, they're saying we're acquainted with your name. Now, watch this. This proves out. Did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. And do many mighty works in your name. You see, they related themselves to His name. They felt like they knew Him. They felt like they had lived their lives doing things for Him. They felt like they were intimate with Him. And that they knew Him. And the problem in all of this is he turns around to them and he says, depart, I never knew you. You may think you knew me, but I didn't know you. And what's the great trademark of those who are told to depart that he never knew them? Look what it says here. You workers of lawlessness. Listen, Jesus is dealing largely with the same issue right here in Matthew 7 that Paul dealt with in Romans 6.1. Do Christians continue in sin? And the answer here is the same. It is no. Do you see it? Notice the last four words that we looked at. Right there at the end of verse 23. Four words. You workers of lawlessness. Let me tell you something about this phrase. Workers of lawlessness here is the exact same thing as continuers of sin in Romans 6.1. Exactly the same. To continue at something is to work at it, is it not? Those two words are interchangeable. And listen, just listen to this. Don't turn there. You can jot it down if you want to. But listen to what 1 John 3, 4 says about lawlessness. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning, and that's continuing in sin, also practices lawlessness. And then John says this, sin is lawlessness. So if you've got somebody that is working at lawlessness, this is somebody who is continuing in sin. It's the same thing. To continue in sin is to continue in lawlessness. And the question is, can Christians continue in and work at lawlessness and sin? Obviously not. Because the people here in Matthew 7, in this verse, do not continue that the ones that do not continue in lawlessness, but rather do the will of the Father, they're the ones that enter. Where on the other hand, those who do continue in lawlessness are the ones that are told to depart. Clearly they can't be Christians because no Christian is ever told to depart. I mean, really, it is the same truth. Now, Paul comes at it from the standpoint of the positive side of the Christians don't continue. And Jesus comes at it at the negative side from the fact that those who do continue in lawlessness are told to depart. But it's the two sides of the same coin, folks. It's the same truth. 
Basically, what this is saying to us is a true Christian doesn't continue in lawlessness. A true Christian continues in the will of the Father. And it is not the will of the Father that you do sin. And if you're continuing in sin, you're not in the will of the Father. And if you're not in the will of the Father, folks, in the end of it, you may say, Lord, Lord, and you may have all sorts of notions about you being a Christian and all sorts of things. You may come to church, you may own a Bible, but I'm telling you this, where Jesus Christ and His grace come into the life of a person, it is power, it is radical, it is life transforming and life changing, and we just simply cannot get around this. The reason that Christians don't continue in sin is because they can't continue in sin. I know we've looked at these things over the last week. I know I'm being somewhat repetitive here. But you, you have to follow me as we come into this. Sin won't have dominion because it can't. You will not continue in sin because God won't let you. That's what Romans 6.14 said. If you guys want to turn back there, you can. Romans 6.14, you may remember, says sin will have no dominion over you. This isn't me saying this. This is God Almighty in His own Word promising that He will not allow me as a Christian to continue in sin because He is saving me from its power and dominion. He is promising. You won't be able to do it. And I'm going to exercise my might in your behalf to make certain that that truth comes to pass. God does not give us a promise like this and not back it up. So, three times in Romans 6, Paul says, Christians are free from sin. The unmistakable, absolutely certain, indisputable reality is that Christians are dead to sin. Right? Okay. And then we came to Romans chapter 7. I'll just touch on this just for a second. We're going to launch into this. We've been looking at a man who is under the law, under conviction, but not yet under grace. When it comes to sin, the man in Romans 7 is everything that Christians are not. Does God allow a Christian to continue in sin? Folks, I hope by now we can all answer with a resounding no. It can never be. But as we've seen, the man in Romans 7.18 does continue in sin. He has no ability to do right in 7.19 by his own admission. He keeps on doing evil. He is continuing in sin. The very thing Paul has so adamantly declared that Christians cannot do. Christians don't continue in sin, but wretched men who are under the law and of the flesh and sold to sin do continue in sin as we have seen. And that describes the man in Romans 7. Now, here we are. You guys that have been here for some number of weeks, that is not new to you. It appears to me that most of you see both of these truths. You've locked on to them. You realize this is reality. But I think we all have to admit that we are left with some questions that really do need to be answered. And the biggest of them all is probably this. What about when Christians do sin? That's what I called my sermon this morning. When Christians sin. You see, here's where the confusion lies. Christian, I know you. 
you are like me. We do sin. Period. You do, and I do, and we know we do. And if we said we didn't, we're not fooling anyone but ourselves. And the problem is this. I know that sin has been present in my life every single day since I was first saved. But here's what we're faced with. Here's the problem. We have concluded and concluded rightly that both Jesus and Paul taught that Christians don't continue in sin. But we take a look at ourselves in the mirror and we know at the deepest level we know that we still sin. And sometimes sin often. So we sit back and we say, what do we make of this? Should we all just come to the place where we all conclude, well, you know what the real problem is, folks? None of us are saved. You think maybe, is that the conclusion? Or is the reality this? Is the reality no? After all, many of us in this room are Christians. The problem is, God forbid, He's failed. He just hasn't been able to carry through with His promise. I hope you realize that we don't really want to conclude either of these things. But I mean, what do we make of this? Are we lost? Has God failed? Now, listen, I caution you all here. Your experience, and I've said this before, but it's, it's so important to nail down. Your experience is not the foundation of truth. We must examine everything in light of God's Word. Everything. Everything must be tested by this book. If your experience doesn't measure up to what's in the pages of this book, then folks, it's your experience that's faulty, not this book. Everything has to measure up. Everything has to be there. We don't twist Scripture to convince ourselves that we are something we are not. If our experience is that experience that God Almighty does by grace in the life of fallen sinful individuals, then it will be in accord with and line up with the Word of God. It will, folks. And there's nobody that... You just simply can't think, well, my experience doesn't really line up with that, but I hope to be the exception and get in anyways. Folks, this, you can bank your soul on this Word. And if it says it, it's true. It is without error. So, we need to answer some questions. I've called this sermon, When Christians Sin. But we need to first ask this question, whether it's even possible for Christians to sin. Now, and folks, this really is a reasonable question. It is. Paul says Christians are dead to sin and that they can't continue in sin. So it is valid. It is a valid question in light of those two statements to ask whether Christians can sin. Does dead to sin 
mean absolutely no sin. Now, don't tell me, well, yes, they can. Christians can sin because I'm a Christian and I sin. That's exactly what I've just been saying you don't want to do. You don't want your experience to be the measure of this. What we really need to do is we want to come to the Word of God. Folks, you know, if you make your experience the basis of truth, that will lead you straight into error every time. Don't go there. We need to find out whether the Bible supports the conclusion, not whether our experience does. And when our experience becomes our guide, we just get into all sorts of trouble and error. So, is it possible for Christians to sin? What does the Bible say? Whenever I think about this, typically I think about right at about the end of 1 John chapter 1 and the beginning of 1 John chapter 2. That's typically where my mind goes. And I'll just give you one of those verses there, 1 John 2, 1. You can listen very carefully to this. My little children. He's not speaking to the whole world in general. He's speaking to Christians. My little children. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now his purpose is that they don't sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He doesn't say that if any one of you does sin, you simply can't be a Christian. That's not what he says. Rather, he assumes that it is very much possible for a Christian to sin. And if he does sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. James, in his epistle, says this, James 3.2, For we all stumble in many ways. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says this, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Folks, we know that Paul sinned. Acts 23.3, he called the high priest a whitewashed wall. You remember that? And he said, oh, I didn't realize that was the high priest. He got rebuked for it. And he immediately quoted the law that said you shouldn't do that. And he acknowledged immediately that he had sinned. Peter, can we recount a sin or two of his? He denied the Lord three times. The Apostle Paul himself had to rebuke him to his face. You see that in Galatians. Because what? He was, he was refraining from eating with the, the Christian Gentiles. And, and what does it Paul actually say there? Barnabas was carried away by the same hypocrisy. So we see Peter's sin. We see that Barnabas also was carried into that sin. I mean, folks, Corinthian Christians, I mean, these guys had strife. They were making idols out of, one, out of Apollos and Peter and Paul. They were suing one another. The rich weren't waiting for the poor at the Lord's Supper. They were using their spiritual gifts for wicked purposes. They were, they were, you know, some of them going back to their idolatrous practices. Paul was having to tell them, don't go to prostitutes. Don't eat the, don't, don't make your brother stumble. Don't do these things. I mean, he, you know, you've got a guy living, which proves out in 2 Corinthians, this guy was actually a Christian. He was living with his father's wife. Now, can Christians sin? Obviously, yes. Christians can and do sin. But that's good we prove that from the Word. We don't want to just go to our own experience. You come across a text like this, 2 Corinthians 7.1. 
Beloved, clearly, again, to Christians, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Texts like that assume there is remaining defilement of body and spirit and that each of us does need to cleanse himself from these things. Paul himself in Philippians 3.12 admits that he had not yet reached the perfection that he longed to reach. Now, some of you are probably saying, Brother, we already knew this. You didn't really have to go and prove this. Now, what I would say to you guys, don't underestimate the importance of proving this from our Bibles. Because do you see what it does? It confirms that the Bible simultaneously and harmoniously teaches that Christians on the one hand don't continue in sin, And on the other hand, also teaches that Christians, the very same Christians who don't continue in sin, in fact, do sin. You see that? Both are true, and yet they're not a contradiction. Both are true at the same time, and yet there is no conflict in saying so or believing so. Now, here is one of the main things for you guys to consider. If indeed Christians are persons who do not continue in sin, are dead to sin and not dominated by sin, when Christians sin, it is still just as true that they are not those who continue in sin. It's just as true they are dead to sin. It's still a reality that sin will have no dominion over them. That is so important for you to remember. That is a truth that needs to hit us hard. When I fall into a sin, it doesn't all of a sudden mean that I become the wretched man from Romans 7 who is of the flesh, sold under sin, can't do anything right, and only does evil all the time. When I fall into sin... It doesn't all of a sudden turn me into the man who's under the law, like the man in Romans 7. I'm still a Christian who does not continue in sin. This is what we need to believe because it's what the Bible teaches us. Now, let's go further with this. When Christians sin, the Bible often portrays that sin as a fall or a stumble. Listen to this. Micah 7, 8, and 9. Listen to me. You don't need to turn there. Rejoice not over me, my enemy, O my enemy, when I fall. Now, what is this fall? Micah, tell us. But he says, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against Him. You see what he calls his sin against him? A fall. And he tells his enemy, when I do that, don't rejoice over me. Proverbs 24.16 For the righteous falls seven times and rises again. And we already saw this in James 3.2. We all stumble in many ways. Now, the thing about describing a Christian's sin as a stumble or a fall is that it stirs up the imagery of a man walking or running who trips 
or slips and falls down from a higher place. You see that? But though he falls, even though he falls seven times, he rises again. And what is that a picture of? Rising again means you come back up to that former place that you were at. His normal position is not down. It's up. He lives on a higher plane than the rest of mankind. Although the man goes down and even may go down over and over again like a magnet to iron filings, there is this divine pull that raises the man back up to his feet again. When Christians sin, they don't and they can't stay there. The Bible teaches that no one born of God can do that. 1 John 3, 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. And if you stay down in it, folks, you're practicing sin. And it says no one born of God, if you're born again, you cannot make a practice of sinning. Why? God's seed abides in you. And He cannot keep on sinning because He has been born of God. You see that? He cannot. This isn't debatable. This isn't in question. If the seed of God is in you, you cannot. Because if you fall, God's going to see to it. He's going to pull you back up. It will divinely and supernaturally and very powerfully be a reality in your life. As a Christian, you will not be able to stay in sin. I'm not saying you might not fall into it for a week or a month. But I'm telling you folks, God's bringing you up out of there. He will. He will. When Christians sin, it isn't like the pig who finds the mud and the filth and the slop and stays there. It's like the sheep that's going along and all of a sudden, whoo, finds itself slipping into the mud and whose passion and desire is to immediately get out of there. It doesn't like it. The passion and desires for remaining in the slop and filth are crucified. In the believer. Brethren, this is the truth of the Bible. Galatians 5.24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Christian, let's take your experience and compare it to these realities that I've just been laying forth. Christians don't continue in sin. The old passions and desires of the pig have been crucified. Have they not? I mean, let's, let's ask ourselves this question. Look at your own testimony in all this. Has that not been your experience? If you're a true Christian, it definitely has. Think about this for a second. It's important that we put our Christian sin in the proper biblical perspective. When I was lost, I had a dirty, filthy mouth. And so did most of you. That's a reality. But you tell me what happened. Do you still have a mouth like that? Did God not deliver? I'm not saying that once in a while a word hasn't come from your mouth you wish you hadn't said. I'm not saying that once in a while a thought comes into your mind that you don't want to think. 
But I'm telling you this. Overall, the big picture of your life is the sewage that came out of your mouth doesn't come out of it anymore. And if it does, you're not saved. Simple enough. Because you cannot practice sin if the seed of God is in you. And that is a reality. And we know it. I'm not talking about, folks, whether you struggle with thoughts from time to time. I'm not talking about that. Though, you know what? You know what I found to be true of most of you Christians in this place? Is that when you were lost, you were involved in sexual immorality. You gave yourself to it. You swam in that cesspool. Just about every single one of you in this room did that. And I'm saying, what is the reality of your experience? What is the reality of your testimony? Don't tell me you're still living just like you were then. Don't tell me you're the Roman 7 man who can't do any good and perpetually does evil like you did when you were lost. Don't tell me that. You say, and I know this is where it comes in. You say, yeah, but I still struggle with thoughts. And it just, it seems like it, that struggle continues. And you're telling me Christians don't continue in sin, but I see continue. Don't you see? Don't you see by your own admission the continuation Paul's talking about is a continuation in sin. What you're feeling is a continuation of battle. You didn't battle when you were lost. You didn't fight. You didn't resist. Those passions that wage war, wage war against your soul, they ate you up and spit you out. And even if you came under some conviction or felt guilty back then, you ran right back like the pig to its mire. You know you did. You didn't have the ability like the man in Romans 7. Now you do, because you don't live like that. And though you may struggle, the very, in, the, the very element of struggle is the very indication. It's the very element that gives proof to the fact that you have a transformed life. That you are not one who continues in sin like you always did. Those sighs, those groans, those struggles, your repentings, your calling to Christ for deliverance only show that the passions of the flesh which wage war against you are being resisted by you. There is a fight. That simply was not true, folks, when you were lost. You know it. You know it. When Christians sin, they sin as those who are of a new nature. When Christians sin, they sin differently than the rest of the world. And that's the issue. We can say no to sin. We do say no to sin. We must say no to sin. By the grace of God, we're not going to trip into sin and then give up and just throw ourselves in. We are Christ's blood-bought ones. We are dead to sin and will not continue in it. We are like the disciples of old who Jesus said were completely clean except they needed their feet washed. We might step into sin and get our feet dirty, but we don't throw ourselves into the mire head and shoulders and all together. We jump out by God's grace and we press on. So this brings us to another really practical question. When a Christian sins, what is he or she to do? First, and I have what? One, two, three, 
For I have five things, and this is how I'm going to end. When we do sin, Christian, what do we do? First thing, when a Christian sins, he needs to stop immediately. He must minimize the damage. Obviously, the best path to happiness and usefulness is not to sin at all. Clearly. But if we do sin, we need to take control of that sin. And how do we do that? Well, for starters, folks, and again, I'll go back to what Paul said. How you think has everything to do with your life as a Christian and how you battle sin. And so a lot of these things I'm going to give you just have to do with how you think. And the first one is this. You need to remember that the Christian life is lived by what we believe. It's lived by faith. And we must believe what God has said. When the Christian stumbles and falls into sin, the fastest way to stay there in the filth and mire of that sin is to say to yourself, oh well, I'm just like that man in Romans 7. I can never do anything right. I just keep on doing evil. Oh well, wretched man that I am, I guess this is just my lot in life. No, that is not what God would have you to think. God's Word, God's instruction is not to sit there in your puddle of filth and despair because you just can't do anything to get out of it. God says this, lay aside, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, lay aside every weight and, uh, and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus. Man, woman, Christian, my brother, my sister, look to Christ. Look at what He's done for you. Look at what He's made you. Look at what He's obtained by His death. If the Son of God has set you free from sin, you are free indeed. Get up and run. Yes, you will fall. You will fall again. You're going to fall more than once. But does that mean you're no better than the pig who loves his filth? You need to be away with this slouching, defeatist, groveling mentality. Stop viewing yourself as one who keeps on doing sin and can't do anything about it. God says you can do something about it. And He says don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Don't let it. God is telling you not to let it. And if He says that, He is telling you that He is giving you power to not let it. He's giving you power to be able to resist it. And live like that, folks. Consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God. Get up, Christian. Get up and run. You're no longer some pathetic slave skulking around in the mire with this muck and filth all over your face, running down your mouth. You are one of the conquering children of God. Jesus has bought you and bought your victory at a high price. So conquer. Two. Let's consider something else concerning the sins of the saints. When a Christian sins, the devil often rushes right in at that point to condemn you and tell you a couple things. He'll tell you this. You can't be a Christian. Not if you did that. He also likes to tell you this. Oh, maybe you are a Christian. But you just sinned. You're filthy. The last thing you better do right now is think you can go present yourself to Christ. 
He didn't want anything to do with you. Look at yourself. You're just a miserable mess. You're pathetic. You think Christ wants you to come to His seat right now? He's just going to even beat you with a stick. You're not, you're not worthy to be there, which is true. We're not worthy to be there. But He paid to give us access. No tongue can bid me fence depart. You know what you need to remember? You know what needs to be in your mind, folks? When Christians sin, they need to never, 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 ever forget that though they may be in a state of conflict, they are not in a state of condemnation. No way, no how. When the devil throws this garbage in your face, when that happens, you must remember this thing. At the very time when the conflict is hottest and the devil screams the loudest, the believer is still justified. That is crucial. That is crucial. Only sins that you will ever have victory over are the sins that you have been justified from. I mean, when the, when the believer is in that situation where they have to give every ounce of energy just to hold his ground. He feels he can hardly advance an inch. He feels every temptation to every sin he can imagine. He can still trust the Word in God and say, there is no condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus. Christian, do you grasp the weightiness of this? Every time the Christian sins... They still have not guilty stamped on their forehead. The throne of grace is still wide open to us. Folks, the fact is one with Himself. I cannot die. I do not face condemnation. I am still justified. I still have access. And in heaven, the resounding word concerning me is not guilty. You need to remember that. Because your hope, your deliverance from sin is running to Christ. That's what God says. Lay aside the sin. Look to Christ. And the devil, the last thing he wants you to do in your sin is look to Christ. What he'd rather have you do is look at the Romans 7 guy. Not look to Christ. Don't look there. That's not you. You're dead to sin. You're alive to God. Look to Him. And don't believe His lies. He was a liar from the beginning. He is still. And He will come to you and tell you all this garbage. And you can say, it's true. I'm not worthy. It's true. I just sinned. But in heaven, the Word pertaining to me, my record is clear. It is white. He has washed it clean. Jesus paid it all. Every bit of it. Not guilty. Remember that. Third, when a Christian sins, he must remember how wicked his sin is. Oh, brethren, can we get to the place because we don't face condemnation for our sin that our sin is somehow in our imagination, further down the scale of depravity than the sins of lost men? Do we get to the place where we think of it somehow that the sin of the Christian is less wicked 
that it is less vile, that it is less evil, less foul, less monstrous. We get to the place where we think it is less offensive to God. We can think that. Because we are justified, we can actually get to the place where we think our sins are smaller in the eyes of God than the sins of the world. Do you know, sin is never less vile because God has forgiven them for Christ's sake. Never. Those very sins you make light of cost the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The very life blood of the Lord as He hung there between heaven and earth on that cross. Is this such a little thing to you that Christ left His eternal glory? He laid aside that glory He knew in the very bosom of His Father from eternity past. He laid it aside. He came here to be robed in the very rags of human flesh. And I call them rags because He came and robed Himself with the likeness of sinful flesh. That is a rag, folks. He submitted Himself to the weariness, to the effects. He took a... The Creator became the created. Why? For sin. He came here to this earth. The eternal Son of God. He filled heaven and earth with His glory. He became one of us. Made like His brethren in every respect yet without sin. He came here. He suffered Hunger. He suffered thirst. Think about the things He suffered at the hands of men. They mocked Him. They spit on Him. They ridiculed Him. They pulled out His beard. He suffered the very temptation of the devil. Something He, a person He created, He submitted Himself under to be tempted to sin. Something that was so, so repulsive to Him and it's being laid in His face. It's like somebody come up and put dung under your nose. It's 10,000 times worse what Satan did, what men did. He subjected himself to all these things. And, and in the midst of all this inestimable sorrow and anguish, even sweating great drops of blood, they nailed him up there to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Under the billowing waves of the wrath of God. And you look at your sin and you say, oh, that, it's, it's, it's a small deal. It's paid for. You think that's a small deal? You think your sin is any less because that happened? You see, folks, if you're a Christian and you sin, your sin is worse. I'll tell you one of the reasons it's worse. When you sin with your mouth, when you stab a brother or sister in the back, like with a knife, with your sharp words, you think that's somehow better because it's forgiven than what your grandmother or your mother or your coworker does? Don't you understand? They have no light. They are in darkness. They are blind. They are deaf. You see. You hear. You know. You've been exposed to the reality of God's Word. And you think your sin is a light thing? You sin in the face of great light. They sin in darkness. Oh, folks. It's not small. And I'll tell you this too. 
You sin in the face of great privilege and great love. You know what? When that guy that walks up the street, I'll tell you this. Some of you are sitting in here right now. You know full well you're not a Christian. I'll tell you this. When you sin, you know what you sin in the face of? You sin in the face of a God who gave you life today and gave you breath. You sin in the face of a God who lets His rain fall upon you and His sun shine upon you. You know what we Christians sin in the face of? A God who did not spare His only begotten Son. We sin in the face of a God who gave us His own Holy Spirit. We sin in the face of a God who gave us eternal life. We sin in the face of a God who has shown us such inexpressible degrees of love and mercy and compassion that it just boggles and staggers the minds of the angels. Do you think your sin, Christian, my brother and sister, do you think it's smaller? And I say this last thing. When we sin, we look to Christ, we remember what we are in Him. When we sin, we remember There is therefore now no condemnation. I told you there's five things I was wrong. There's only four. I didn't. Wasn't seeing right when I looked there. We remember who we are in Christ. We look to Him. That's one. We remember there is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Three, we remember. Our sins are heinous as a Christian. They are not to be made light of because they are forgiven. The fourth thing, when you sin, when a Christian sins, they need to repent. That's what Jesus told the Ephesian church. You remember what their sin was? They lost their first love. He told them to repent. When he got done with them, he told the church at Pergamum, repent. He told the church at Thyatira, because of their sin, repent. Sardis, Laodicea, it was always the same. When Christ finds sin in his churches, he says, repent. Folks, when Christians sin, they need to repent. Can I tell you something? In 1 Corinthians 4, and I'm closing with this. 1 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. Paul said this, With me, It is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Now listen to what he says. In fact, I do not even judge myself. And here's what I want you to hear. I am not aware of anything against myself. Do you know what he's saying there? I am not aware of a single sin in my life. That's what he's saying. It doesn't bother me if I'm judged by anybody. 
I mean, I can't even really be my own judge. I mean, I look at my own life, I don't see anything there. My judgment of myself is that I'm clear. He says, in the end, that really doesn't even matter because it's going to be God and the judge that ends. But I want you to see this. What Paul could say about himself? Not a single sin in his life that he could look at and say. You know what, Paul? When he found sin in his life, he repented immediately. He was out. He lived a life where there was no... no. This isn't the guy from Romans 7, folks. This isn't the guy who only does evil. This is the guy who looks at his life and doesn't say, Oh, I see evil everywhere. He looks at his life and he says, Nothing. I don't see a thing against myself. Now, I'll tell you this. Christian, when you sin, that needs to be your pattern. You need to recoil from that sin so fast and run right back to a situation where you are constantly living, where you know nothing against yourself. And I ask you right now, Matt, do you know anything against yourself? David, do you know anything? I ask myself this. Can I look at my life right now and say, I know nothing against myself? Because if I know something, it's sin. And when Christians sin, you need to repent of it and you need to flee from it and you need to be gone from it and you need to live in this place where Paul said he lived, where his conscience was always clear and where he could look at his life and say there is not a thing in my life. Folks, for Christ's sake, live this way. You go out there in this world and you tell people you're a son of God. You tell them a Christian. You live your life in front of your family, in front of your co-workers, in front of your friends, in front of this world. And you tell people, I'm a Christian. And are you going to live in sin? You need to have that life that is like Paul's. Where you constantly are living before people blameless. Where there is nothing people can hold against you. Nothing. I say for Christ's sake. Brother, sister, for Christ's sake. His name, His reputation. He is the God who says of His people they will not continue in sin. What are you going to do? Go out there and see how hard you can be an example of a person who does continue in it? I'll tell you what. Hebrews 12 will become a reality in your life if you're truly a child of God. He will lay the rod on your back so hard and drive that from you. I, I bid you, for Christ's sake, live out of the realm of sin. When Christians sin, get out of it immediately. Don't let it abide. Don't let it dwell there. Don't let it just ferment in your life. Escape it. Set your eyes on Christ and get out. Repent. Now, Lord, I know, folks, this went a little long. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to deal with the second part of when Christians sin. Because there's some other aspects that I think it's really important that we look at. But hopefully that helps you. It arms you. It equips you. If you got... You know how Paul said, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Paul's not telling you to go to Romans 7 and imitate that. He's saying, imitate this guy right here in 2 Corinthians. I know nothing against myself. Imitate that. Please, brothers, sisters, for the very sake of Christ's name and for the sake of the fruitfulness of your life and for the sake of the overall battle of this church, 
to take forth the gospel. Don't be the Achan in our camp. Don't be. Fight sin as one who has been set free by the power and blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that this would be a living reality in this church. I thank You, Lord, for these that have listened so attentively. May these things prove to be reality in their life. And Lord, I know I am not the model of perfection in this. I I know that I need to grow in this same grace. Lord, I want to live like Paul. I want to be that man who can just constantly be able to say, I know nothing against myself. Oh, Father, may that be. We see a man just like us was able to live that way. This is not the perfected Paul. This is the being in the process of being sanctified Paul. So we pray, Lord, to what degrees of sanctification he reached, Lord, may you lead us in that same path. May we achieve the same victories that he did. Lord, we thank You that we are Your children. We thank You that we are Christians. We thank You that we are called by the name of the living Savior. In Christ's name we do pray.